Book Two, Chapter Nine of Precious Bain by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Game of Conquer. In the morning, ploughing one of the far meadows with Gideon, I saw yellow nut catkins in the hedge and brought them home and set them in a jug on my locker in the attic. I plucked them early and tied a bunch to each of the ox's horns, so all that day of sad-coloured weather the white cattle went up and down the red field, which was white over in parts, so that they looked yellow, with nodding gold plumes on their heads, as if it was a fair. When we unspanned, Gideon said, what n you been after bedizening the cattle? It's May Day, I says. Gideon looked be puzzled, but he said, Well, he supposed I liked my jokes, and he didn't complain, so I worked well. When'll this weary old ploughing be done, Gideon? I says, for of all things I hated it not for itself but because it spread out over our lives till there was no room for anything else he was in a fever to plough dawn and dark frost and rain he'd be on the land hard at it and often when it did the land more harm than good all the farm was to be corn all the rickyard was to be full of corn only grow no corn he said and we should be rich afore we knew it i couldn't abide the new law which made it pay so well as soon as we've got enow off we'll go prue and never see the place again he said i canna understand that gideon i told un if you were land proud i could but it do seem so queer to spend every bit of time and strength on the land like a mother with a child and then not love it it's as if the mother cared naught for the child but only cared to sell it ah that's the size of it prue i dunna care a dom for the land nor yet i dunna care for the money not as money well what is it you do care for to get me teeth into summat hard and chaw it, to play conquer, till there inna a cob nor a conquer left but mine, to be king o' the wick and the only apple on the bough. But for why, Gideon? You be always asking me for why, because I was made like that, and I canna go again it. We always came back to that. The thing is to keep the right men in, so as they canna change the law afore we've made our money, he said. It was just as if the country was his mommet, to do his will and put crowns in his pocket. Which be the right men? Them as keeps up the price of corn. But the poor folk that clem would leaf have prices down. They mun grin and abide. Let him work. I work, dunna I? Indeed, to goodness, he did work. He was naught but bone and muscle, and if he was a merciless man, he was merciless to his own self first. I said, would he side with Squire at elections, in spite of what Miss Dorabella said? Ah, I doubt I mun. 
He's got a deal of corn land. He'll never let prices down. And when'll you leave ploughing? Not till we've bought the place, and there's money in the bank into the bargain. But when we've ploughed up all the farm, save what grass we're bound to keep for the beasts, then you'll be bound to stop. No. If we hanna got enough of money, I shall start on the woods. Oh, deary, deary me, I said, for I was like to cry. It was the unkindest thing that he should think of the woods. For now there'd never be any rest for any of us, since the woods were ours all round the farm, and there was work in them world without end. The tears rolled down my face, and I could feel them cold and slow as the cold evening light. Why, what ails ye? said Gideon, crying? Bless me, what a wench! Look ye, girl, we be working for the future. I must like the future, I said. It's like the bran pie they give the Lullingford children Christmas. You may get summat, but most likely you'll only get a motto. And if you get summat, ten to one, it inner what you want, for what you want inner in the pie. Dear to goodness, what a mort of idle words. The future's as you make it. Why, no, I says, it be like the blue country a traveller sees at dawn, and he dunna know if it'll be a kind country with farms sending up a trail of smoke in the sunset, and a meal for the asking, or if it'll be a wild, savage moor where he'll starve to death with cold afore morning. Why, there now, says Gideon, you're starved with cold, that's what's the matter. You want a cup of strong tea and a good plate of taters and bacon. And hark ye, if that in the mother banging the tray, I'll be donned. Poor mother set store by the evening time, being one that liked company. She said the days dragged so in the silent place, and she was timid, startled at the fall of a leaf or the creaking of a door. She was used to plead with me, time and again, to leave ploughing and bide with her a bit. But I was bound to do Gideon's will, so I made up comfortable tales for her of the day when we'd be well-to-do, with men and maids and a kitchen girl and no pigs. She'd brighten up a bit, but soon she'd sigh and shake her head. A far cry, a far cry, Prue. Maybe I won a last. I'd leave things were a bit easier now, my dear. I canna abide tending pigs in the woods. My poor legs do ache, and if I sit down, I get the rheumatics. And the pigs do go daggling about down by the water, so my feet be always wet. I'd leave for less maids and men in the years to come, and less pigs now. I'd leave for less company then, and a bit more now. All that's a long way off, and no more satisfying than the many mansions of paradise. Tell un that, Prue, tell San, my son, I'd liefer have a few things now, and not so many in the years to come. Ah, I'll tell un, mother, and you must think of the times when we'll leave ploughing. San'll never leave ploughing, or if he does, he'll do summat else. 
It's this away with un. He canna rest. He's like a man I heard tell of, riding post across the land with dreadful news, foundering nags and buying fresh uns, with no thought but to get there. So when he got there and told the news, he was so fixed in mind he couldna stop, but rode and rode with no rest, crouching down and cutting the horse by day and by dark, going with no news to nowhere. They sayin he rides still. I tell you, Prue, it had been better a power for us and for him too, if my son San had been born an idiot boy to play with coloured stones and put daisies on a string. She looked so strange standing there in the fold, with her long staff and red crossover shawl, with her mouth a-tremble and her eyes shining like a prophet's, and the great lean pigs grunting and snouting around her, and San Mir standing up beyond her like the blue glass round a figure in a church window. I wondered if ever they put pigs in church windows, in pictures of the prodigal son, and I could not help but laugh a bit, in a kind of pitiful way, thinking that this here was the prodigal mother, and how glad we'd be if Gideon was a bit prodigal too. What ails you laughing, she says, only to think as you be the prodigal mother. I dunna understand. I cannot understand ever a one of my two chillin. Oh, deary me, but I take it unkind in you, Prue, to laugh when I be crying. Poor mother, she said true things times. She put words to my own complaint about the world, that laughed though I cried. There, there, I'll tell Gideon, I said. It was one of the queer things in our lives that I was the go-between, taking messages from mother to son. She could never get courage to begin, nor to face his cold, steely look. Next morning I spoke to Gideon. He was in the field afore me, as always. It was frosty and misty, so the ploughed land looked like tarnished mirrors, or like the mere in overcast weather, sheeny and not solid. Where the frost held and the sun shone, the fields were polished like water with a gleam on it. Gideon and the oxen came on slow, making a little solid dark picture in the lonesome fields. It put me in mind of the black oak figures carved on the peak of the gables, on some of the Lullingford houses, and always looking very dark on the sky. The breath of the oxen and the steam from their bodies stood up about them and hemmed them in, so as they went up and down they seemed like a picture, round and all to itself, that somebody was moving about in the waste of fields. Gideon, I says, mother be very middlin. She wants rest. Get a lad to mind pigs in the woods. A lad? Dear to goodness, what lad? There's Miller's Tim. He's not but seven, but he could mind pigs, and I'd give un his tea. What? Feed a great lad of seven every day of the week save Sunday? Be you mad, Prue? 
Mother's very moped and middling. She wants rest, and she wants company in the going down of the years, and a bit of comfort. Amna I working for that? And is she going to have maids and men, the best of good things, a pew in church, and real chainy to eat off? Ah, in the years to come, if she lasts. But she met not. It be now that matters. There's naught ails, mother. She can go on very well. She gets good air minding pigs. And she can croodle over the fire after dark to ease the rheumatics. And she's moped, lad. She wants me at home more. Well, you will be when we leave ploughing. That's a long day. Any road, you mun get a boy to mind pigs. Mun, mun, who be you to say that to me? I be maester of San. You've no right to drive mother to death when she's old and ailing. Gideon gave me that withering look. Maybe, he says, very slow and bitter, Maybe you'd like to get wed and bring a lad to sarn that away to tend pigs. That is, if anybody'll have ye. He picked up the plough handles and went on down the furrow. It needed a long while in the attic to wash out those words, but the power that was there washed them away in a while. I made allowance for Gideon since he lost so many nights of rest, it being still lambing time, for lambing time is the shepherd's trial. In the black of night, in the dead of the year, at goblin time, he must be up and about by his lonesome, with mist like a shroud on him, and frosty winds like the chill of death, and snow whispering, and a shriek on this side of the forest, and a howl on that side, the shepherd must be waking. Though the pleasant things of day are fouled up and put by, and the comforting gabble and busyness of the house and the fold are still, and the ghosts are strong, thronging in on the east wind and on the north, with none to gainsay them. So when Gideon was short with me, I only took a bit more time in the attic. It was pleasant there when spring drew on, with a dish of primy roses on the table, and a warm wind blowing in. When April came, we were still ploughing, and I was so used to it that I'd given over being tired, and enjoyed it, and sang to myself the while. It was grand to go down the red furrow with the share cutting strong into the stiff earth, and shining like silver. It was fine to look away to the blue hills by Lullingford, and see the woods of oak and larch and willow all in bud between, as if a warm wind blew from there and called the leaves. It was pleasant, too, to see the rooks follow in a string at my heels, looking as if they'd been polished with the andrian brush, and to see the birds again that had been away, and to hear the water-owsel sing wild and sweet and the lapwings changed their winter cry for somewhat warmer. There were violets now to pull for market, and daffodillies in the corner under the ivy hedge, and tight pink buds like babies' little fists in the apple trees. Mother cheered up a bit, 
and one day when we were having our tea by the window with a bunch of gillyflowers on table she said we'll have the weaver i gave a gasp and a choke and mother wanted to know what ailed me not not but why not the weaver's man it'd be cheaper i like the best weaving i fell into a dream for if castor was going to weave for us he'd have to come into the attic walking to and again round the weaving frame looking out of my little window making the place his place so i should have him there for ever after yet still i couldna abide the thought of him seeing me and i argued for having the weaver's man till gideon thought i was in love with the fellow though he was said to be simple and had got fourteen children into the bargain but mother put on her spectacles and looked at me and pushed them up and looked again and settled them in place to look a third time we'll have the weaver she said and that was all it was the day after this that jancis came rushing in all wild to say that beguildy was going to take her to the hiring fair on may day unless gideon could stop it she came into the dairy where i was churning and she said oh prue the young gentleman's been again and have me he will leastways you she gave a giggle in the midst of her crying and father says it's that or the hiring fair it'll be three years prue i'll be bound for a dairymaid or a kitchen wench for three years that is unless gideon offers to wed with me now gideon wanna my dear he's fixed in mind about the ploughing nought'll turn him from that but i shouldna stop it you'd be another mouth to feed and if you ailed i shouldna i'd be stronger than i look you couldna tell jancis when you wed you begin a game of blind man's buff that ends you canna tell where and if little uns came what about all that money gideon set on making oh deary me oh i canna bear it prue i do love gideon right well and once parted may be as bad as never met well you talk to gideon and will you put in a word wise like ah i'll put in a word but what he wanna do for you that be his dear acquaintance he wanna do for me that be naught but his hard drove sister just then gideon came across the fold to fetch the buttermilk for the pigs he stood in the dairy door and i thought it small wonder she was sweet on him for in his smock and leather breeches with his black head bare and his eyes blazing on jancis he was as well favoured a man as you could meet in ten parishes and i thought as i looked round the dairy that it was as good a place as anybody could wish for asking to wed the sun shone slanting in though it was off the dairy most of the day the damp red quarries and the big brown steens made a deal of colour in the place and the yellow cream and butter and the piles of cheeses were as bright as buttercups and primmy roses jancis matched well with them with her pretty yellow hair and her face all flushed at the sight of gideon she was like a rose in her pink gown 
Outside the window, in the pink-budded may-tree, a thrush was singing. I mind it all so clear, and should, even if it were not written in my book. You be early, says Gideon. And welcome? Oh, ah, you be surely welcome. She looked at me mischievously, as if she was asking me if I did mind, and stood tiptoe for Gideon to kiss her. I've got news, she says, good news or bad, as you do make it. Me? Ah, it's this away, San. Feather says I mun. She looked at me helpless like. Beguiledy wants to sell the child, Gideon. What's the use of mincing words? He wants to sell her to young Camperdine for his pleasure. Jancis hid her face in her hands. And if so be she says no, she's got to go as a kitchen wench to the May Fair and be prenticed for three years. What? Sell my girl? Beguiledy'll sell my girl? Dang me, I could drown him dead for that. He's not sold her yet, Gideon. The better for un. But she'll be bound prentice for three years away somewhere beyond Lullingford. Gideon stooped and pulled away her hands, looking fiercely on her face. Be you a true wench to me, he says. Dang me, if you've lost your maidenhead to young Camperdine, I'll lay an out with the Polacks, ah, and you I'll strangle. No, no, San, I hanna, I hanna, she cried out. I be a good maid to you, San, indeed I be. But what's she to do, Gideon, for unless she be the young man's light o' love, she's bound to go away. I canna abear to go away. She burst out crying again. I waited for Gideon to speak, but he said naught. There's one other way, Gideon. I said it coaxing, for I knew it was his hour of choice for the two of them. The good road for both was in their power to take this day. It was one of the times in Gideon's life when he might choose his blessing, the path of love and merry days, where the pretty pagel grew, the keys of heaven, or the path of strange twists and turns, where there were things of dread, the bane, the precious bane that feeds on life-blood. Jancis seemed to know also that their lives in some fashion hung upon this hour. She stooped down and kissed his hand, and she said in a soft, hoarse voice, Oh, be my sweetheart, son. Gideon gave a kind of groan. I know where you be dragging me, Prue, he said, with your eyes so strongly upon me. You be pulling me down to poverty and the loss of all I've dreamt of. I'd work double, lad, I said. What use? You know right well what would happen. Could any man do other with a pretty piece like that for missus? Mouths to feed, mouths to feed. Never no grand house, nor maids and men, nor pew in church, no money for you. No aunt ball for Jancis, no hail fellow well met with the gentry for me. If ever we make any money, it wanna be for years and years. 
we shall lose the house and go pottering on eating up all we make a man with a wife and family never gets on he mun make his money first but wouldna you work better if you were happy lad with chances happy too why no happiness and idleness be twins if you want to work you manna be happy nor miserable you mun just think of work and naught else another thing if i take jancis now in the teeth of young camperdine's longing after her he'll be again me himself and he'll set all the gentry again me whatever made the man so mad in love it's done now and we mun take care he looked at Jancis suspiciously, and she prayed me with her eyes to explain all. But that I could not do. I'd done a deal for Jancis, but that was too much, for I was afraid that if I spoke at all it would get round to Kester Woodseaves. Jancis was under promise that none should know, saving only in the utmost need Gideon. So I kept silence and I canna see that it made any difference, for speaking would only have put it off, and Beguiledy had made up his mind about Jancis, and if it wasn't the young squire, then it would be somebody else. It was best for Gideon to decide once for all. Then, if he chose right, he and Jancis could be wed, and it would be out of Beguiledy's power to make any more plans. It'll only put off the riches for a bit, Gideon, I said. No, it'll put them off forever and ever. The best thing to put off is getting wed. We'll wait three year. That'll give us time to turn round. Not as I want to put it off. He fell silent, looking at Jancis. I could see the longing in his face, and he was all of a tremble. It was strange to see such a great strong fellow shaking like a woman that's seen frittening. He took a step towards Jancis, and I made to go out, for I thought he'd take her in his arms and all be well. But all of a sudden he muttered, No, no, and drew back. Then he said, There'd be no satin gown for ye to dance Sir Roger in at the Aunt Ball then, Jancis. You'd be sorry for that. Ah, well, if you go for a dairymaid or summit, you'll be yearning for it as well as me. Three year in a long. By the end of the three year, all the ploughlands should be bearing well, and us'll be reaping what we've sown. Dear Lord forbid, I says. Gideon fell into a rage, though why I never could think, and burst out. Why that now? why that i'm well content to reap what i sow but not if it's the bane gideon not if it's the precious bane as i read about in the book the vicar lent me you dunna want that amid the corn lad what grows in hell whatever it is he says if i sow it and it bring me the things i'd leaf have i'll welcome it there came a little sobbing sound from Jancis, and when I looked at her, I saw beyond her golden head the spring day all o'ercast, and the thorn tree lashing in a sudden wind. 
you'd best be going home along my dear i says there's tempest brewing i shall come on sunday and tell your dad what i think on him said gideon no no dunna anger him what do i care for his anger oh she cried out everything's all as i wouldna have it why can a folk live quiet and peaceful why must you be so fixed in your mind san hark at the wind rising there's summat foreboded she began to cry again hiding her face in her apron oh i wanted to send out the biddings and be shouted in church she said just as she used to say oh i wanted to play green gravel gideon snatched her to himself and kissed her but he did not change his mind once he'd made it up nothing ever would turn him i mun go she said come and send me son as they went i saw her wringing her hands and heard her say oh i see a dark road going down into the water and the sun's gone out oh son dunna make me walk that road all in a minute she'd faded away like a ghost in the wild dark stormy woods end of book two chapter nine